don't want to turn this into a Simon Says sort of thing, but <laughs> you get, you get used to, we get used to the way things go, don't we? Um, try to change it up and throw you for a loop. Well, I uh, hope you'll bu- open your Bibles. This is something we always do at this time, right? So you hope you're well conditioned in the best sense of that word to uh, open your Bibles and join me in the book of Proverbs. We are nearing the end of our fall sermon series called Wise Words. And uh, last week, we looked at wise words for big mouths. Uh, So I wanted to follow that up with wise words for listening ears. And we're going to get to that topic uh, two weeks from today on November 21st. Of course, next week is our missions festival. This week, as the first Sunday of the month, uh, we celebrate communion, uh, which we're going to do at the end of the service. This is when we intentionally bring to mind, we intentionally recall what Christ has done for us. What he, how he paid for our sins as he died on the cross so that we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled to God as we trust in him. And so since that's where we're going uh, to the end of our, at the end of our service, it seemed like the best time to look at this topic in the Proverbs, wise words for guilty sinners. How can guilty sinners be brought into right relationship with a holy God? And if you're familiar with the Bible, I hope if you're a regular part of this church family, this is not a new topic. We talk about this a lot because we think the Bible talks about it a lot. It's, it's a central, the central message, the theme of the Bible. And what may be surprising to you, if you're familiar with the Bible, is that this comes up in the Proverbs as well. We, we tend to put Proverbs in the wisdom box and not the gospel box, uh, you know, we think Proverbs, you know, practical stuff, everyday life, insight for how to live well in God's wor- world, yes. But you can't live well in God's world without dealing with this issue. How can guilty sinners like you, like me, how can we be brought into right relationship with a righteous and holy God? And that is just as practical as anything else that we've looked at in this series. So we're going to do this this morning in uh, three parts with two Proverbs each tied together with the thread of repentance, which often in the Bible has the idea of turning or returning. So the question this morning is, have you turned from sin to God and to a life that pleases Him? Have you turned from sin and turned to God and to a life that pleases Him. Now, this is, this is very personal, and it's very practical. Making that turn means a, a whole new direction for your life. If you are here today, and you're not a Christian, not sure what you believe, this could literally be, this, this day, this hour we have together, could literally be a pivotal moment for your life. Everything could turn here. If you are a Christian, if you came in thinking, yeah, this is stuff I believe, this is why I'm here, I'm, I'm affirming and reaffirming my faith, I'm, I'm celebrating this together, then this is a great time to make sure that you are headed in the right direction, that you are on course. So, Proverbs uh, shows us what it is to be repentant, but let's look first at what it means to be unrepentant, even, even when you may look pretty religious, so here's part one, unrepentant. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven: the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, 
How much more when he brings it with evil intent? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, something despicable. Uh, How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Now, we can talk, uh, you and I can talk about sacrifice in in many ways in everyday life. A, A musician or an athlete may sacrifice their free time in order to practice, to hone their skills. A parent may sacrifice time and money in order to raise their children. This sacrifice, of course, is clearly in the context of worship because of the second line. It's something that he brings, he or she brings to, as in, to the tabernacle or to the temple as an offering. And the the word here, the Hebrew word used for sacrifice, refers to that which is slain. So this is an animal sacrifice, typically a, a bull, a sheep, goat, or even a bird. And it would be killed as it was offered to God on an altar by a priest. Now, longtime Christians are nodding along. Mm-hmm, yep, yep we, we know this. We know this part of the story. Uh, no big deal. But, but, but if, I, if, if we led out a lamb now and tied it down to this table and I slit his throat so that the blood was running to the floor, you would be aghast. You would be as aghast, and not just for theological reasons. You would, you would be aghast, just as, as shocked and startled and, and even perhaps repulsed as anyone else uh, in 21st century America. What, what is going on here? So why, why did ancient Israelites offer animal sacrifices to God? Was it just because they were a primitive, uh, bloodthirsty kind of people? Well, it's, it's more than, it's, it's not that. It's something very different and very specific, again, to what the Bible says. From the very first pages of the Bible, God says that our sin deserves death. So, we can either be destroyed as the right consequence of our sin, or we can be welcomed into a relationship, into fellowship with God when the consequences of our sin are borne by another, by a sacrifice. This is God's arrangement God himself provides the means of reconciliation, and in the book of Leviticus, as one example, God gives instructions for sacrifice, and it says over and over through that book, these sacrifices would be pleasing to him. Why? Because because his justice is satisfied as evil gets its due, and his mercy is displayed as sinners are forgiven and are brought near in fellowship. So, if sacrifices are pleasing to him, what's going on here when the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination? Well, you, you think, well, I, it's pretty easy, right? It's a, you, the, the problem here is the wicked. But hold on. I mean, don't all sacrifices for sin come from sinners? I mean, it would seem that the righteous people don't need to bring sacrifices. It's, why are you coming with a sacrifice? Well, you know you've sinned and you've got to make things right with God. So, as always, through the Proverbs, the second line helps us understand the first. How much more, so this, the, the two lines here don't work as a contrast or, or even as a completion of thought starting in uh, line one and then finishing it out in line two. It's, there is, in the second line, there is a, an escalation. This, first line, even more 
in the second. If this is true, first line, this second line is only more so. It's all the more abhorrent to God when he brings the sacrifice with evil intent. Now, before we talk about what those bad intentions might be, I think this means we understand the wicked in the first line, not simply as a sinner. That's, that's a given. The sinner brings a sacrifice for sin, but as, more specifically, unrepentant, as, as meaning um, he is uh, committed, in a sense, to his sin. He's not turned from his sin. He is, he is entrenched in his or her sin, unrepentant. Now, remember the purpose for the sacrifice. The person comes to deal with their sin before God, and yet if a, someone comes ostensibly, apparently, um, bringing the sacrifice. I want to make things right with God, and yet they are unwavering in their wickedness. No remorse, no surrender, no repentance. So then that sacrifice offered, while it may meet all of the specific requirements and specifications that God has given in His instruction, in in His own Word, then that sacrifice, because that guy's not really serious about dealing with his sin, God is disgusted with that sacrifice. He is sickened. He is repulsed by it. Normally, this pleases him. He hates this kind of offering. When an offering is brought by the, a person who has not genuinely, is not really wants to deal with their sin. If, if being unmoved and being unrepentant and bringing a sacrifice is really, really bad, what could the second line be talking about that is even worse than that? Uh, maybe you think, well, isn't, wouldn't we just talk about that? Well, I think there's even more. See, the, the first line, you're not really serious about dealing with your sin. Second line, you are making things worse when you come with this kind of sacrifice in this kind of way by adding only more sin. How might, how might someone bring a sacrifice, an unrepentant person, bring a sacrifice with evil intent, with, with wrong motives? Let's, we'll, let's, let's go ahead and move this to our context because, you know, we're talking about these sacrifices. We, we don't do that. Um, we have to understand why, why is it that we don't give sacrifices? Again, popular notion, well, those people back then uh, gave uh, sacrifices because they were primitive, bloodthirsty people, and we don't do that now because, well, we're modern. We're you know we we, we have technology and we could uh, you know do this virtually or something. I don't. Know. We don't do that anymore. We or we don't. No, not all of us have have goats at home, so we don't do that anymore. That's exactly not why we don't do it anymore. That, that there's a there is a reason that we do not bring animal sacrifice. It's not that we have we've gotten over sin. We still have sin. We still have guilt that needs to be atoned for. We still need a, a way for guilty sinners to be brought at one with, with God, and we come here without animal sacrifices on an altar because Christ has died for us, and his perfect sacrifice is the final sacrifice. And so we do come to worship, not that this is a temple in the same way uh, that the temple or tabernacle was in the Old Testament, but we come, we gather to worship, specifically to celebrate the sacrifice that Christ is for us. That's what we have been singing about. And, and we do believe that God is pleased with the offerings that we give, the offerings of our songs of praise, our prayers, the, the gifts uh, that we give even financially, and, and the, the gifts of service and volunteering and and doing all of that in Jesus' name. But if we do all these things, singing songs, praying prayers, 
putting money in the box, um, volunteering uh, now or on Sunday morning or sometime throughout the week, if we do all these things with no change of heart toward our sin, is God pleased? It's an abomination. It turns his stomach it's disgusting. How, how much more when we have ulterior motives for participating in worship and service? You know, to, if you would come today and you'd say, you know, I'm here just to let everybody know how good I am. Or if you, I, I'm going, I'm just going through the motions to get, to get God off my back. I know, I know, you know, I've, I've, I probably messed up this week or probably, I know, I know I've done some things wrong, but I'm here, I'm putting in my time, so I guess that evens out, Right? Or, God, I'll, I'll make a deal. I'll jump through your hoops if you keep me out of hell. That, that, that's not the right kind of sacrifice. That's coming, that's bringing an offering of worship with evil intent. Are we, are you, are we really surprised that God would find that kind of worship utterly repulsive? Not, not if we're honest with ourselves. Here's another picture of the, uh, of the unrepentant with its contrast. Here's uh, Proverbs 14, 9, our next proverb. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Now, same context as the last proverb, meaning we're, we're talking about a, a situation of worship at the, at the temple or tabernacle, bringing a sacrifice for sin or a guilt offering to God. But where the last proverb was about the wicked, this one is about the fool. And what does the fool do regarding the sacrifice for sin? He mocks. Listen, God does not take it lightly when we take him lightly. And that is what you're doing when you mock the guilt offering. When, we make light, when, when a worshiper back then or a worshiper now makes light of the sacrifice of Christ, if you, if you, make, if you take the, the sacrifice, if you don't take the sacrifice seriously, you don't take sin seriously. You don't, don't take holiness and righteousness and justice seriously. You're not taking God seriously. Do you remember the story near the uh, beginning of the book of 1 Samuel? I mean, we could look. There are multiple examples, multiple examples of this in the Old Testament, but I'm thinking of this one. Um, Eli, who was the elderly priest at that time, and had sons Hophni and Phinehas, who served with him in the tabernacle. But the sons, acting as priests, took the best of what was being offered to God by the people. The people were coming with their offerings, with their sacrifices, and, the, and Hophni and Phinehas were taking the best of what was being offered to God for themselves. Now, as priests, they did have, it was appropriate for them to get something of those offerings. That was part of their sustenance. This is, in, in fact, the, the same model that we have even today. A portion of your offerings of worship go to the support of your pastors and missionaries. That, it's, it, that makes sense. But these guys were taking the best of what was being offered for themselves, and it was direct, indirect contradiction to God's word on the matter. And so, 1 Samuel 2.17 says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. 
fools mock at the guilt offering. These young men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, and the evil was, the sin was very great in the sight of the Lord. They and their father died as a result. God does not take it lightly when you take him lightly. And you can say, whoa, okay. well, that was, that was back then. You know, there was, when they were uh, doing all those uh, animal sacrifices and the tabernacle and the priesthood and all this. It's just different now, right? I mean, yeah, well, yeah, it's different. But even though you did not come this morning bringing a lamb to be slaughtered here in, in recognition of the, and, and seeking forgiveness for the sins you've committed this past week as a recognition of what your sins deserve, we do come celebrating what Christ did in dying on the cross for us. That's why we're here. And if you take that lightly, there is a warning for you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6 warns that those, warns those in the church who, he says, uh, the writer of Hebrews, maybe Paul, uh, though he's writing to those in the church, those who have, he says, experienced the fellowship of the Spirit. You've, you've been around. You've, you've been in worship. You've tasted even something of the goodness of God's Word, and then you reject the faith. Here now I'm, I'm reading Hebrews 6. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Jesus held in contempt to their own harm. I've quoted uh, earlier in the series Matthew Henry. He was English uh, pastor who wrote a a devotional commentary over the whole Bible. Um, This is back more than 300 years ago. And, and he just has, often has a, a way with words. He, he says this, he says, those that make light of sin make light of Christ. Those are fools that make light of sin, for they make light of that which lay heavily on Christ. Do you hear that? that fools make light of sin, they, for they make light of Excuse me, they, they are fools that make light of sin because they make light of that which lay heavily on Christ, our sins, on him, on the cross. And then he continues, and which they themselves will have other thoughts of shortly. Meaning, you may mock now, but you will not be mocking in hell. You may take it lightly now. You won't, you, you won't have that problem of not taking it seriously when you are suffering the consequences, when you had the opportunity for a substitute sacrifice to bear the death and the pain and the grief for your sin, someone else, Christ himself, God himself offered a way for him to bear that, and you laughed it off. Who will bear the judgment? You will bear the consequences of your sin. You won't take it lightly then. Listen, we we live in a, in a culture that loves to mock. And no, nobody wants to be too, you know, serious or straight-laced. And, and I agree, if we're making fun of, of uh, hypocrisy, sour-faced religiosity, yeah, make fun of that. You bet. Make fun of all the pretense and, the, and the, all the fakery. Make fun of it. Mock it. But if we make fun of sin and atonement, if we mock justice and mercy, then we've laughed off salvation, and there will be none for us. 
But the proverb continues, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Think of if, if, if the, we saw the abomination earlier, the, the utter repulsion of God, rejection of God. This is acceptance. This is what a, the, the sacrifices were all about. So understand then, the contrast in this proverb, Proverbs 14.9, is not that the upright does not need to bring a sacrifice. It's that because he brings a sacrifice with the right attitude toward sin, toward God, because he takes sin seriously, because he takes God seriously, because he takes the, the provision for salvation and forgiveness seriously, he's accepted. His sacrifices are accepted. He's accepted. Psalm fifty-one seventeen, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, repentant, you will not despise. This implies, too, of course, not just that the upright, that the, the sacrifice of the upright is accepted, and so then for the, the upright himself is accepted, welcomed, but it also means that in the first line, the fools who mock at the guilt offering are not accepted. Their sacrifice is not accepted. They are not accepted. That's not, that's not be, God being hard on him or anybody. He's, he's made a way for anyone to be forgiven, for anyone to be welcomed in. But if you don't take sin and salvation seriously, he won't take you seriously. He won't take you seriously when you come to him in worship. If you're not going to be serious, I'm, I'm not taking you seriously. Now, let's, let's look at the better way in the next point. That's, we've talked about being unrepentant in the Proverbs. Here's being repentant. Next proverb, Proverb 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever conceals his transgression transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, you're, you're, you're getting good at reading Proverbs now, right? You're, you're, you're right on top of this. You're like, ah, yeah, we've got a, we've got a contrast, you know, but on the second line. And I mean, this is really easy to see, right? We've got either two, two opposite strategies for dealing with sin. You can either conceal it or you can confess it. You can either conceal it, cover it up. Don't let anybody know. Or you can confess it. That is, you're bringing it out into the open. You are, you're going to name it. You're going to own it. You're going to be transparent about it. And as Proverbs says, far better is that latter approach. And this is wisdom that we need. This is something we've been doing over and over again, right? Why is this wisdom that we need? Well, so often it's because we instinctively go the other direction. We instinctively, we automatically think the other way. We automatically think, well, if I've, if I've sinned, if I've done wrong, it's going to be better if I conceal this. If I've done wrong, the best thing I can do for me is to hide it. Now, for some people, they hide their sin because they feel no remorse whatsoever. In fact, they hide it because they intend to keep right on doing it. They right, right, on, right on lying and stealing and cheating. And, and the, the thought is, this is how I'm going to get what I want. Conceal to prosper. But even if you know what you've done is wrong and you feel bad about it, so we still have the same instinct, right? 
Uh, Admitting it, taking responsibility for it, often leads to painful consequences. You might have to make some kind of restitution. You might have to pay a penalty or or suffer uh, some form of punishment. And or maybe, maybe the, the thing that you fear most is the shame of others knowing. That's why you want to hide. That's why you want to cover. You, you think, oh, if people know that I did this, will they, will they think of me differently? Will, will, they, will they not trust me? Will they not like me, not love me? And so, for whatever reason, we conceal our transgressions. We, we sow fig leaves to cover our nakedness, and we hide from God in the garden. We hide instinctively. We don't don't want to face the one whom we have sinned against. But we have to ask ourselves, are we really better off living afraid and alone in our sin? When we've we've covered that up, we've, we've we've now made for ourselves a place where we are hiding in the dark not afraid to let any light in. Folks, that is a a dark and lonely place to be. This is not the way to be better off because the second line says confession gets you mercy. Mercy. Now, even in our we, we could talk about it just interpersonal relationships. We will. But even in our justice system, don't we uh, recognize, you know, there's more mercy, more leniency, there's often a lesser penalty for those who confess than those who are found out. For those who uncover their own sin rather than having it be uncovered by somebody else. Why? Because, well, the one who confessed their sin has had a change of heart. When, when it takes somebody else uncovering, somebody else has to expose it, then we never really know. You can, once that's uncovered and you're like, oh, I'm found out. Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, yeah, but would you have been, if, if nobody found it, would you still be embezzling? Would you still be uh, unfaithful to your spouse? Would you, you still be, if, if nobody uncovered it, would you still be there? Or Having, it doesn't mean you can't be sincere if somebody else uncovers it, but, but there's always, uh, it's, a, it's a longer process to see, okay, is this person real in their repentance or not? That's why it is wise to uncover it yourself. Confession gets you mercy. But again, now notice, we've seen this again. The second line is often not simply a straight contrast. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who confesses his transgressions will, will prosper and will obtain mercy. Okay, that's the prospering, right? But there's another wrinkle. He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever forsakes or abandons, renounces, walks away, turns away from former behavior, that's repentance in that word forsakes. I tell this people. Oh, I tell people this all the time in counseling. Let's get to a more interpersonal uh, relationship. If you want to restore a relationship broken by your sin, like you, I'm talking to you, you've done something wrong. You have broken the relationship. How can you? You want? You want? How do I fix this? How can I get back to where we were close before? Well, the path is right in the gospel, because you have to start by naming your sin, confession. 
here's what I did, and it was wrong. Confession. And, and then turning from your sin. Repentance. I am, by God's grace, I am not going to do this anymore. I, I know, yes, I can't, I can't promise that I won't stumble or, or falter, but, but I, I am naming my sin. I am owning my sin. This is what I did wrong. It, it hurt you. It, it was, I've sinned against God and against you. That was, I, I did it. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not making any excuses. I'm not saying, well, I, I did this because you. And I'm like, no, I'm owning it, naming it, owning it, confession. I'm turning away from it. God help me. I, I never want to do that to you again. Say it. Say those words. Otherwise, how can they forgive you if they're not sure that you really know what it is that was the problem, that you, that you haven't taken responsibility for your part in it, if you continue to, be, uh, to, to c- keep covering it, um, maybe not hiding it, but kind of downplaying it, sweeping it under the rug, if you're unrepentant, why should they give you another chance? If you're not taking sin seriously, why should they take you seriously? Right? Acceptance, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration of relationship is possible when we take sin and sacrifice seriously. When we take salvation seriously, then there can be forgiveness in response to confession and repentance. This is true in a relationship with any person. Of course it is true. It is true ultimately, and in a, in, it is, we could say, fulfilled in some sense in our relationship with God. You can, I don't have time to read all of Psalm 32, but I would encourage you to look at that this afternoon. If, you're, if, this is, if God's working on you in, in this line of thought, Psalm 32, I'll just read a few verses. Um, it says, for when I kept silent, meaning keeping silent about my sin, I'm covering my sin. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that, that personal uncovering and confessing leads to, the, and that forgiveness that results is why the psalm opens with these words, Psalm 32, 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered not by you concealing it, hiding it, but covered by God, covered by the blood, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. That's covered, and that's, that's a good place to be. That is the kind of prosperity that is being talked about here, the kind of blessing, the, the good life when you know that your sins are forgiven. That truth is why we need the wisdom of this next proverb. Still, same point, repentant. Verse, uh, verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 9 of Proverbs. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Now, technically, this isn't about repentance, uh, but it does have to do with the right way to deal with your sin. And, and knowing that, so, uh, just think, what, what's going on with this question? Is, is, the, is the proverb really looking for somebody? Like, okay, everybody, show of hands, who, anyone here uh, can say, I've made my heart pure, I'm clean from my sin? No, this, th- this proverb is expecting this question to land on each one of us, 
and expects us to kind of, you know, sort of stammer and stumble like, well, um, not, no, well, no one, no one. But understand that getting, just getting the right answer to the question is not the point. Just getting the right answer to the question is not the point. The real wisdom here is confronting the folly in each one of us. Because we're all tempted to think, well, I mean, the, the, the question posed directly doesn't let us do this. But, but usually, we're pretty comfortable and be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, uh, nobody's perfect, right? Yeah, no, nobody's perfect. But, you know, um, compared to a lot of people, you know, maybe compared to most people, I think I'm doing all right. I've made some mistakes here and there, but, you know, on balance, yeah, I think I'm, you know, better than average. Um, it, all, it all balances out. Everybody makes some mistakes, but, you know, uh, here's the wisdom. Folks, we are all guilty of sin. We are all stained, marked, scarred by the things that we have done. And if your heart was, was opened up, not your, not your pump, but the, the core of who you are was laid bare before us all, there would be a lot of ugliness. And you and I both, we would, we are, we're unable to remove our guilt and cleanse these stains. And, and the question is, have you come to the place where you can admit that, that you can, that you can own that? Now, we might, we might easily, again, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian a long time, been around this church a long time, you're like, we can easily acknowledge the theological factualness, the doctrine of that. We know that's true. But do you know it in a way that you don't live with the pretense anymore? That you don't live where you're constantly kind of telling, kind of coaching yourself, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I, th- you know, I think I'm, I'm probably above average. You know, I think I'm, you know, I've made some mistakes, but, you know, it all, it all evens out, right? Have we, have we stopped doing that? Here's another possible way to read this proverb. If it, when we, we say, who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin. If it could ever be possible that you and I could be changed from the inside out, that the deepest part of of me could be set free from envy, from greed, from laziness, from lust, that the stain of my selfishness and pride could be, could be wiped away. It's going to have to be somebody else that does it. It's going to have to be somebody else. I need help. You need help. This proverb is either about guilt or it's about grace. It's about both, really. It's either, it's either going to be a confirmation of guilt. Who can say? I mean, we're, we're all guilty. We're all doomed. We're all damned. Or it's a pointer to grace. It is a pointer to grace. Only, Folks, only God can help you. Only, only Christ can be your Savior. You can't do it. As Paul said in, in Romans 7, 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through, it's through confession, repentance, and faith in Christ, thereby receiving the mercy of God, His forgiveness, that you and I can say, that, that we can all say, He has made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. All glory to God. Praise 
the Savior. Not one person can say they've done it themselves. But every person here can celebrate it. He's done it for us. The sacrifice in my place. If you've been made clean, then you owe that to someone else. Be humble. Be grateful. That's wisdom. Now, many Christians, we'll come to the end here, and this, this last part's going to be shorter, but many Christians, in emphasizing salvation as a work of God by His grace, all true, then think, well, I guess that's it. Wrapped it up. I've got my, you know, punched my ticket for heaven, and, and we're all good. Not at all. That's not the end of the story. That's, in, one, in so many ways, that's just the beginning. Just the beginning. When God turns us around, when we turn around in repentance, turn from sin to God, we turn also to a life that pleases Him. This is a life of repentance, part three. Proverbs 16, 6. By steadfast love and, and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now, that first line could create a bit of a problem if the lines are strictly parallel. If, because if the second line uh, is clearer, it's, you know, I'm supposed to have the fear of the Lord, and I'm supposed to turn away from evil, then it must be my steadfast love and faithfulness that atones for my sins. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> I did, but we just said, who can make, who can say, I have made my heart pure? No one. Now, we've, we've seen before, even just uh, earlier, how the Proverbs can sometimes intentionally put a twist in those lines. It, you're ex- it's almost because we're expecting the exact opposite. Because we're expecting, we've got one train of thought, and then whoop, it, little, little zig, little zag, and then, oh man, it gets us to slow down, to stop, to think, what is going on here? And that could be what's going on here, that we're meant to think, oh, okay, so it's really God's steadfast love, uh, yes, by which iniquity is atoned for, yes. Um, maybe there's another twist that, that gets us to the same conclusion in a more interesting way even, all right? It could also be saying, by your steadfast love and faithfulness, the sins of others can be atoned for. What I mean is like, like we saw not too long ago, love covers a multitude of sin. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers uh, all offenses. Our faith, sometimes our faithfulness uh, needs to overcome the faithlessness, the unfaithfulness of others. Now, you can take that wrong. We, we talked about this back, back at that verse. You, you, don't, you don't cover up every sin. You don't just disregard sin. And, and, and sometimes there is unfaithfulness that is a, a fatal and final break to a relationship. But there are so many ways that we wrong one another that our steadfast love, like I am going to, I am persevering in my commitment to you such that what you just said or what you just did, it's not, yeah, we, it, from your end, yeah, you need to make it right. You, you need to confess, you need to repent, but my steadfast love and faithfulness in this covenant we have is going to, is going to be part of what carries us through that's going to help us get to at one meant together again. 
And who does that more than anyone? Who is the, who is the one who shows us that what who fulfills this more than anyone, who, who's his own steadfast love and faithfulness, his own, the Hesed, this is his covenant faithfulness, his commitment to his promises, the, in, grounded in his own character of mercy and grace, covers over our sins so that the relationship can continue, so that, the, 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 that our, our love can survive. This is true for everyone, but it's, it's true for God in Christ by his steadfast love and faithfulness. He said, I will bear the cost of your sin against me. I will make a way for sin to be at- atoned. I will make a way for us to be at one. And the second line in this proverb takes the next step, takes it to the next level in the sense that, so then, in view of God's love toward us, We live in the fear of the Lord, and we turn away from evil. There's repentance. Now, that's true. That that needs to be true in in just everyday relationships. Meaning, uh, if if, if we just, I I push that first line really hard in a way that probably could easily scare us, that could be abused. Like, I'm just supposed to bear the cost of the sin, and they're going to keep, they're going to get away with it? No, repentance is still in the picture, folks. It's got to be. And so when God extends his grace to us, we turn around, and in the fear of the Lord, in, in view of God's steadfast love, we live in the fear of the Lord, not afraid of his wrath anymore, but in awe of his grace who, the one who sent his son to die in our place, casting our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be brought up again. With grace like that, how can we keep on sinning? The Proverbs told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is square one for living well in God's world. Not only the initial turn of repentance in what we call conversion. I'm turning from my sin and turning to God. I, I'm leaving my old life of sin to, to trust in you, God, but also the daily turning. The daily turning away from every temptation, every sin. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Does the gospel make you wise? Or do you think, or do you think the, that grace uh, means that you take salvation for granted? Grace is like a pass. Like, man, I, you know, I can do whatever I want now. I, I, get, I get forgiven every time I, you know, I'll just come to church and confess and you know, I'm good to go. I'm set for another week and I can go mess up and come back. That, that's never a pass. You will, I, look, just let me prophecy, you will sin this week. And I pray you will come back, but not because you can only get forgiveness when you come here. We can only get forgiveness in Christ. And coming back, may it be not that you come thinking, well, make another deal with God. I show up and he, you know, cleans the slate. No, we come back saying, God, this is the, this is my hope. You are the only way I can say I'm made pure, made clean from my sin. And I'm coming back to celebrate that, to remember that, and to reinforce in my own mind the fear of the Lord and awe of your grace God, help me turn away from every evil. Help me walk with you in newness of life. Do you think grace means you can take salvation for granted, or does it motivate you? Does the gospel motivate you with grace toward obedience? 
And here's one final encouragement in that direction. Proverbs 21, 3, very briefly, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This is what the prophet Samuel told King Saul, right? 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to God than the fat of rams being offered on the altar. If you were an Israelite back in those days, you knew, of course you knew, that God wanted your sacrifice. He would be pleased with your sacrifice. He, would, he wanted to accept that. He was the one who told them to do it. He was the one who told them how to do it. But there's something he wants more. There's something he wants more. He, he wants not just your, I'm sorry. He wants you to go forward and do the right thing, to do what is right. Of course that's better. Of course, it's better to just do right rather than to say, I'm sorry. In other words, he wants you to do what is right, righteousness, and do right to others. That's justice. This doesn't take at all away from the gospel that we know, that we know that I cannot make my heart pure, that I did not make myself clean. This righteousness and justice in response to the gospel is, is something that adorns the gospel, Paul says in Titus. We, we make the truth of the gospel, we make God's justice and his mercy more attractive, uh, more beautiful. We, we show it off when we live as God wants us to, day by day, a daily turning, a daily can, can, continue to make sure we are turned in the right direction. So do, do we need each week to, to come and sing and pray and give and serve? Yes. Yes, we need to do all those things, and we need to hear the word, and we need to go and do the word. And this could be the day. This could be the day that you make a decisive turn. Turn from your sin to life in Christ. That's, that's repentance. Maybe, maybe for the first time today, you could walk out of this place knowing that you are forgiven, that you are made clean, that he has made your heart pure. Or maybe for you this morning, you're like, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that. I, I, I know that. I, b- I believe that. Maybe today for you, it's taking Christ's sacrifice seriously, more seriously than you have in recent days or years. And you are turning, returning to a life that pleases him. Taking sin and salvation seriously is the better way. It is the way to mercy. It is the way to joy in relationship with Jesus. These are wise words for guilty sinners. We're going to, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition to communion. God, we are asking that you would meet us in this moment. And for all the ways that that. that my words, really your words that we've looked at this morning, I pray will compel us to check ourselves. That we do not come lightly. That we do not take you lightly. And, and yet, God, I don't, I don't want that to put all the burden on us in the sense that, that, that maybe now we're, we're scrambling to like, oh, do I feel it deeply enough? Do I, do I feel it strongly enough? Am I, am I, how serious am I? Am I taking this too lightly? God, would you help us in this moment to take our eyes off us and put our eyes on you?
That's what you want. We'll take you seriously, I believe, when we, we put our eyes on you. We'll, we'll see the gospel and all its goodness and, the, and, the, and the, the gift and, in some sense, the demands of grace. When we look to Jesus, when we remember his sacrifice, God, would you capture our hearts? By your grace, would we turn? Turn to you. Turn again, in Jesus' name.